Welcome to our podcast. We hope that this content is a blessing for your life. Enjoy the message. enjoyed worshiping the Lord this morning, huh? Amen. By the way, Happy New Year to all of you, those who are at home, those who are here. We have great expectation of the things that God is going to do in the next coming months and years, and we look forward to His opening up the scroll for us as well. As we were worshiping this morning and um, insisting on that last uh, song and um, its meaning, I don't know how many of you might not or might be familiar with what that song refers to, open the scroll, to you know, open the seals, uh, the fact that Jesus is worthy only and alone, worthy. And uh, all, all of these uh, thoughts in containing that beautiful song uh, go back to a passage in Scripture in the book of Revelation. And let me read it for you because I think it's important for us to um, you know, get into that uh, message So that when we confess these things, we really are understanding what we are confessing. In the book of Revelation, chapter 5, it says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, that is, I, I suppose, the Almighty, it has to be God because then it refers to Jesus later on, on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. We've got to remember that, um, you know, writing... In the ancient times, it's not like the books that we have now. There were parchments, scrolls, made either of uh, leather or in previous times of uh, papyrus, where the word paper comes from. But they were not in the form that we use books now, like this. They were more like this. And generally, when a letter was sent by an emperor or by some magistrate, You know, when it was sent uh, across lands or whatever, they sealed the scroll or, or wherever, whatever, wherever the message was contained. Um, and they put like wax on, on, on the place where you open the scroll in order to make it evident when it arrived at its destination that nobody had opened it or tampered with it. All right, so only when the, when, when the scroll was finally opened could you read what was in it. Uh, and, and those seals were a way of uh, witnessing to the authenticity of uh, what was contained. And evidently, this scroll that uh, in John's vision is being opened, it has to be opened. It has not just one seal. It has many seals, seven seals, which means you know, that it must have been extremely important. And as it, as it was, because in those seals in the symbolic content of the book of Revelation uh, and in, inside that scroll was contained, you know, the, the future history of mankind. I mean, all the major events of human history and the plans of God were contained symbolically in that scroll that the Almighty alone holds in His hand, as God only holds in His hand the history of uh, the human race. And so this fateful moment had arrived when that last seal 
um, was, was supposed to be opened, but there was nobody to open that scroll. And so, you know, people looked, whoever was there, that multitude, um, there was nobody who was worthy of opening up. I mean, imagine opening that scroll, which would unleash and release uh, the, the last intentions of God for human history, the greatest moves of uh, human history. And it required somebody of, of exceptional quality and heft to unleash that chain of events. And, and that final element of God's move, especially the last installment of God's um, intention. And so, you know, the, this scroll, writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. And then it says that I, I saw a mighty angel. It had to be a mighty angel. It had to be a, a seraphim or a cherubim or an archangel worthy of doing something as important as that. Proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Very much a um, uh, rhetorical question because, you know, it, it was like almost a, a challenge. Is there anybody who can open the scroll, setting up the table for the solution? It says, but no one in heaven or earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And I wept. This is John speaking. I wept and wept because no one was found was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So this is what we are singing just now. It is a, a musical rendition of this scene. And, and we are echoing the words of that mighty angel. And, and, and we're asking Jesus to open the scrolls. You know, I, I think that there are elements of human history, final elements of God's dealings with humankind that are still closed to human understanding. They are contained in Scripture, but they're veiled to our understanding. And we make all kinds of efforts, and we pretend to know what it is. And prophets say all kinds of things about it. But ultimately, you know, that, that uh, element of the last installments of human history are, are only in God's control. And it will take a moment in heaven where God will release that final aspect of human history. It, it has to be Him. And it has to be through Jesus. Jesus is the, the one who has that power to do that. The, the lion of the tribe of Judah. This, was, this is what I saw almost 30 years ago, 25, 20, 20 years ago, when I had that dream of the Lion of Judah. I understood that that lion that was over the city of Boston, looking over these demonic entities that ruled over this city, was the lion of the tribe of Judah. This, this, uh, when, I, when I had that dream, I had to go back and look again because I knew it was the Lion of Judah. But um, we, are, we are in the time of the, the Lion of Judah. This is this, this time in history. That much I know. And uh, God is, I, I don't know if he has already released this scene or if it's in the making. But it is there. The last moments, the last stage of human history. And Jesus is the one who is able to open, you know, the, 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 that last aspect of 
humanity's uh, history. And allow me just to, because it takes time, but you know, this is important. This, this is one of the things that the Lord wants us to speak about, prophesy about. And it says in, in verse um, seven, 6, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, these, these mythical beings almost, elders, elders who worship the Lord continually. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. It is a perfect expression of God's action in human history. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, God. He took it because he had the authority to do that. He went, uh, and when he had taken it, <clears throat> the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. I mean, this is a, a moment of uh, resolution. And, and these elders and these uh, creatures, these strange creatures along with the elders, they understand something extraordinary has happened. They fall before the Lamb. It's like almost the coronation, the, the, the total recognition of Jesus' um, lordship. Each one had a harp, signs of worship, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are pr the prayers of God's people. Why the prayers of God's people? People of God, we need to contend for the last piece of God's purpose in history. We need to pray. We need to ceaselessly pray to the Lord that His will be done, that His intentions in history be accomplished and realized and fully brought out. That, that, that is our role. And, and there's a time appointed when the, the, the prayers of God's people for the Lord to come and, and bring resolution to human history, there comes a time when, and God knows that time, when the right quota will be fulfilled. And God will be satisfied that we have done our part here on earth as representatives of God's mankind that he created and the church, the ecclesia, the, the, the organization that has governmental authority over history. We have to contend. We have to pray. Do not underestimate the importance of your lonely prayers when you are in your room or in a sofa in your house and you are praying, Lord, have your way in human history. Bring relief to humanity. Do what you have said that you will do. Bring resolution. Bring uh, uh, descanso, rest to uh, your people. Do what you have said that you are going to do. We need to, we don't, we, let's not let him rest, as the psalmist says, until he does what he has said he's going to do. And that, this is why it's saying here, you know, which are the prayers of God's people. There's a bowl, there's a measure that has to be filled with God's, with people's prayers. And when that, you know, he, the, the, God takes the, 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 uh, the angel, the, the, these, these beings who are holding these golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of God's people, and they sang a new song, you are worthy to take the scroll. This is where he's, only you are worthy. It's, it's that idea of, you know, only he. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. 
And then I looked around, says John, and, and, and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 time, times 10,000. Have you ever asked yourself, how many angels are there in the universe? You know, nobody knows, but it's, it is many. If we think humanity is numerous, you haven't seen the multitude of angels that God has created. They are innumerable. And all of these angels... All of a sudden, they erupt in a loud voice and say, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise and whatever else fits uh, worthy of uh, admiration. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. One day we will sing that song, people of God. One day every consciousness in the universe will be forced to confess that. And I mean maybe even the, the demons themselves will, against their will, have to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. What a glorious image. Huh? What a glorious vision. Uh, you know, maybe you can spend a little time this week as you begin the new year pondering on that glorious image. God is in control. It's not, it's not any human being. It's not any party, political party. It's not any uh, human agency of any sort. God is in control. The Lion of Judah is, is the only one. He's in control of everything that moves. And we need to be sure of that. Even as we see history zigzagging and going in all kinds of crazy ways. No. He reigns. He reigns. And we are under His guidance and His power. So, Father, we say, yes, You are worthy. We give You glory, honor, and praise. We thank you because we are made worthy, although we are not in ourselves, of um, declaring Jesus' lordship over human history. And this morning, help us to fill ourselves with this sublime vision. Even as we live in the grip of the quotidian and the normal, and sometimes the boring and the repetitive, help us to keep our eyes on sublimity. Help us to keep our eyes on the glory on the, the territory that we are really stepping on every day as we walk in the realm of time and space. Let us keep our eyes on what we really are all about and what this is really all about so that we might not grow weary. We glorify you in Jesus, Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Why don't you give the Lord a hand right now just of worship. And Father, we praise you. Thank you. Thank you for your mighty, mighty hand of control over the human sphere. Amen. Well, that was not uh, in the program, but praise God that He knows. And it's important for us to know. I mean, when we sing something like that and we repeat it and spend so much time on it, we, we better be very aware of what it is that we are saying and why we are saying it. So, welcome again. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Happy New Year. Praise God. God doesn't know about years. <laughs> His eternity, but we do, and we measure time like that. And it's good to get into this new time, humanly speaking, of a new year. 
And uh, we enter with expectation of what God is going to do, as we do every year. And he never disappoints us. He always brings something beautiful. And I declare God's blessing on Congregation Lion of Judah, our people um, over the internet, all of you who are there, those who are here. Praise the Lord. And let's continue being a solid, faithful congregation and a people. And let's keep doing what we do, serving God and giving glory to Him. Be blessed. Well, let's continue with a, a different, different aspect of our meditation. As we begin this year, you know, I, I, I think I said last Sunday that uh, we're going to finish and kind of round out the thoughts that I initiated about discerning the times and, and the way we should behave in the light of the times that we are living in. I, you know, when I look back and examine uh, the, the, the text of the sermon, I realized that you know, I, have a, I had pretty much said most of what uh, needed to be said. So rather than go back, and I, one could do that, but uh, let's rest on that. And, um, you know, the idea that we are living in unique times when perhaps those seals have been broken and we are, have entered into a new time, that we, we need to live in the light of that. We, don't, we cannot live life carelessly. We need to live life with a sense of great purpose and meaning and heft and weight because we are living in those times. They demand of us a special kind of behavior that is extraordinary because we live in extraordinary times. And, you know, I... I I've, fleshed out a bit some of those uh, different behaviors. You can go back to the sermon if you haven't heard it. But I, I felt um, that we could put that to rest for a while and uh, continue on to something else, which is, you know, within that area, within that sphere, um, about persistence and about... Because I'm going to start probably a, a series of meditations on persistence, resiliency, perseverance... Resistance to uh, trial and, and tribulation and faithfulness and uh, dogged discipline. So pray that you know the Lord will bring some insight to us through that uh, series of meditations. So I, I and I've been I have been thinking about this idea of uh, not growing weary, not growing weary, and staying the course. Every once in a while, the Lord will remind me about this quality of uh, discipline and persistence in the Christian life. What do we do when adrenaline is no longer available to us? When we have uh, returned to the quotidian, to the daily elements of life? You know, what is the, what is the last card that a Christian plays when everything else has run out? It's faithfulness. Perseverance. You know, when the hoopla and the enthusiasm and all the noise has uh, stopped, there's only one thing that we need to do is just remain faithful. A soldier that depends only on adrenaline and enthusiasm is not worthy of uh, the name. He certainly is not worthy of being an, an officer or she in the army. Because the leadership demands faithfulness and uh, uh, independence from emotions. And it, it requires just obedience and uh, faithfulness to a commitment, faithfulness to a confession, faithfulness to a vow that has been made. And uh, let me not get too far into the sermon itself. 
by developing on that thought. So let me just read a couple of scriptures that, you know, you can jot down. Uh, hopefully you have a pen or something uh, or in your iPhone or whatever. Maybe you can meditate on these scriptures um, because they all call us to faithfulness. And remember this thought, let us not grow weary. Let us not grow weary. And it comes from Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. I may have alluded to it before. The Apostle Paul says, let us not become weary in doing good. Meditate on that doing good. What does that mean? Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, underline proper, God is a strategic thinker. And he knows the proper time, the exact moment for his interventions and so it says, let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time, and only God holds that in his hand, the proper time, in the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Imagine how much agency we have that um, God doesn't say, hey, I'm just going to do whatever I'm going to do, and I'm going to bless you. No matter what. And sometimes he does that. But generally God. We have a say in how much blessing we receive in our life. Many believers miss out on great rewards. Because they, they do not have the patience to persevere. Through discouragement. Through the passing of time. Through unfulfilled expectations. And they give up prematurely. But the Apostle Paul says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. That's one scripture. Take another scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. At the end of a long meditation on resurrection, on the resurrection power of Christ, the resurrection of the saints, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, how important the resurrection is to the human and to the Christian faith. At the very end of his long meditation on the fact that resurrection is a hope that will be realized and that is so glorious that we need to do all we can to inherit it, he says, therefore, as a consequence of all that I've said, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, he's speaking to you, Lion of Judah, therefore, stand Firm. Stand firm. Like a soldier standing before an attacking horde. Stand firm with your sword in your hand. Remember Ephesians? Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Let nothing move you. Man, that's a... That's a what, four words? Very, very powerful. Let nothing move you. What is nothing? It, it, can, be, it can be sickness, financial reversals and failures. It can be a marital tragedy. It can be the loss of a loved one. It can be the loss of health. It can be immoral tribulation or fall, 
It can be something that has humiliated and humbled you in your life. It can be uh, discouragement, a failed profession or career, a thousand, a myriad of things that can make you shift from your commitment. And the Apostle Paul says, let nothing move you from this idea of doing good, of committing to the sublime, noble things of life, the sublime pursuits of the human Christian journey. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In other words, we know that the ultimate recompense, the ultimate reward that we have waiting for us is resurrection life, eternity. And you, you do not know what eternity is. I don't. You do not know what the inheritance that awaits you is. You cannot conceive it. Your mind is too flimsy, too small to understand what the, the scope and the magnitude and the sublimity of the reward that awaits you is. It's, it's, a, it's you know, unspeakable. And therefore, know that whatever you suffer here on earth, whatever you go through, including the temptation to doubt and give up, um, what is awaiting you is worth pushing through that meteor shower until you get to the other side. Because it's worth it. Don't ever let anything of this earth, uh, you know, make you go back on your commitment to serve God. Because there's a reward. And it is marvelous. Let nothing move you. Then another scripture that you might want to meditate on is Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. This, again, this idea of standing, remaining, persisting. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Why the devil? Because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Always remember that. You know, your enemy may come in the form of a, a wife or a wayward child. Or a persistent sin, or uh, discouragement, depression, anxiety, nightmares, loneliness, whatever, COVID-19. It can take a lot of shapes. But you know, ultimately behind all of that, there's one agent, a motor force. It's called Satan and his minions. Our, our struggle is not against uh, these symptoms, these outward expressions of evil. The real struggle is behind all of those things, of which these things are simply symptoms. But the real disease is an enemy calculating, determined, serpentine in his ways, devious, called Satan. And he wants to make you stumble. And he wants to put so many obstacles in your way that you will simply abandon the journey. And, and the, apostle, the apostle says, stand. Your struggle is not against those obvious external things. It is against the authorities, the, the rulers, the powers of the dark world. And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you see, that it is that day, that event 
those processes, those circumstances that tend to draw us away and discourage us. And that day of evil comes in millions of ways. I've alluded to some of them just now. Or it may be a, a period of time. COVID-19 is a day of evil. Because this day is not a day of 24 hours. This is an epoch. It is a, it is a, a time. Uh, certain uh, spans of time. It says when that day comes in your life, whatever that day might be, it's a day of darkness, it's a day of discouragement, it's a day of tragedy, it's a day of loss, it's a day of um, deficit. You know, whatever that day might be, when that day arrives, that evil day, when the evil day comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Yes. And after you have done everything, what? To stand. Yes. Again, do you see this persistent call of Scripture? Stand. 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 Yes. Resist. Be faithful. Do not give up. Don't relent. When you're tempted to let your arms fall to the side, wake up and, and make a determination to continue until that day arrives, until the day God releases you when you die, but you don't really die until you enter into eternity. Everything that you do, God is saying, live it out in the light of the sublime things that surround you. I mean, what more sublime than to be fighting against principalities and powers? Come on. You know, it, life would be so boring if our fight would be, you know, against our dwindling bank account. <laughs> that is so worthless, so meaningless. No, our, our, our struggle, we're warriors of a much sublimer kind. We are knights in shining armor. We are adventurers in an incredible journey. And um, you, we need to keep that context always. You know, our fight is not against little things. It's against beings that are, are totally evil and psychopathic. Nevertheless, very powerful. They're able to concoct doctrines, um, cultural moves, epochs in human history, whole uh, scientific systems that are coherent in themselves, but false in their foundation, they're extraordinarily powerful, these beings. And that, that, is, that is our fight. And they can concoct all kinds of things before our eyes and, let us, and, and make us lose sight of who they are and where they are. And we have to keep focus so that we don't bow to mere circumstances. So that when the evil day comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, just to remain standing. Yes. People, this is the call of God for 2021. I always have a problem with the, the, the next year. You might hear me say 2020. <laughs> We're in 2021. I got to get my brain around that. But, uh, you know, let, let's, keep, let's keep our focus and then there's another passage, sublime, glorious, lovely, that is the one that, you know, the Lord brought to me uh, just today. Hebrews chapter 12, that also speaks about standing and faithfulness and all these things that I want to just uh, sear and seal your spirit with. Think about these passages over this week. Make them the object of your meditation. Hebrews chapter 12. You know Hebrews chapter 12, it's the... It's the chapter that follows Hebrews chapter 11. 
Okay? And do you know what chapter 11 is? Chapter 11 is what? The Hall of Fame, the Heroes of the Faith. Yeah, it, it is one of the glorious passages of, of uh, all Scripture that speaks about these men and women who achieved renown. They were all, by the way, broken. They were all imperfect vessels. Um, many of them didn't arrive at what they, they expected to achieve, but they were faithful. It reminds me of another passage that I just got earlier here, but let me not get sidetracked. Um, Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, again, do you, do you notice this thing about some of these passages that they have this therefore as a consequence of? You know, faithfulness, persistence, perseverance, resiliency, they can only be exercised in the light of something, in the light of something sublime, marvelous, that the Lord has promised or that we have seen. Because by, the, by itself, faithfulness is a very bland kind of thing. It doesn't have the beauty and the attractiveness of other Christian virtues. Uh, but it's so important because whenever we look at all these other things of the Christian life, you know, we have to be faithful in order to obtain those things. And they compel us to behave a certain way. So here the Apostle Paul, after having um, given all these examples of Christian glory and success, power, credit, he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, who is the great cloud of witnesses? All of those, those individuals that he has mentioned in chapter 11 who have achieved beauty and, and glory in the Christian faith. Since you and I have this amazing lineage, which has only grown greater and more numerous since the 2,000 years that he, read, that he wrote this passage, because then we have other heroes of the faith throughout the Middle Ages and, you know, the Great Awakening and even today, you know, we are surrounded by this amazing company of... Uh, beautiful souls that have been faithful and have gone on to their eternal reward. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. <laughs> Lovely translation uh, of, of the original Greek. There are so many beautiful things. Let me just go on a little bit, and then I'll go back, hopefully, to, to the passage. And let us run with what? Perseverance. The call of the Spirit. The call of the Lord. The prophetic word for Lion of Judah in this uh, new stage, 2021. Let us run with perseverance. Hupomones. The Greek. This race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of the faith. Because for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see here the uh, reward that comes after the race? 
And after the persistence, that's what, that's what he's alluding to here. He finally got his reward. Like you and I will get our reward, our medal, our recompense, if we run this race that is so tiring, so exhausting. Like a marathoner on the 20th mile or the 18th mile or 23rd mile. I mean, what, what do you have after? During that moment, all you have is just will. All you have is simply the dogged decision not to give up because you started the race. Because you want to win the prize. And let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith. He is our example. He is our precedent. For the joy set before him, he endured this cross. Scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Another powerful word, consider, <clears throat> consider, analogisaste, where the word analogy comes from, analogisaste. We should consider that word, we should consider the word consider, because it's an important word. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Again, the call, don't lose heart, persist, remain, persevere, stand, make a decision, you will not give up. In your struggle against sin, and that is one of the things that can discourage us, you have not resisted yet to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father, addresses his son, and he says, my son, my daughter, do not make light of, God, of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Paideia is another powerful word, the, the word for discipline in Greek. The Lord's methodology, methodical teaching and training and preparing. The artificial obstacles that he puts in your way to strengthen your muscles. The testings. Because he's training a warrior, a knight, male or female. He's training a glorious, angelical being out of your humanity. And he's putting all kinds of things that will strengthen your muscles, that will increase your resistance. Do not, don't, don't take lightly the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. I mean, what, uh, what uh, uh, staff sergeant or, or uh, platoon sergeant, what army would be responsible if it didn't put its Warriors through tests, trials, difficulties, exercises, artificial skirmishes. Because if they then have to face the real thing, they wouldn't be prepared. It would be a cruel thing. Yes. And God is always training us and preparing us to use us, to lift us up, to perfect us. Those trials, those difficulties that you are facing, the failures of life, the, the, the moments where you have doubted God's goodness... The things that have humiliated you in your understanding of yourself as a parent, when you compare yourself to others who have done better, whose children are more accomplished, quote-unquote. You know, all of those things are part of God's loving training for you. All of us bear that. If, if, if we are meant to do something important in the kingdom, God will put us through all of those things because this is discipline. This is paideia. It is his training model. For what children are not disciplined by their father? 
If you're not disciplined and everyone, undergo, and everyone undergoes discipline, you see that intromission there? And everyone goes through discipline. In other words, don't, don't think that you're going to escape that, okay? No one escapes God's loving training program. Nobody. Unless they are not meant uh, to do anything. Unless God ha doesn't have a plan. If God doesn't have a plan, and there are many, <laughs> this is the sovereignty of the Lord. There are many people in this world that God doesn't have a plan for. Why? I don't know. Don't ask me. But there are many people who will die, and God will never have exercised his discipline to bring them unto himself. They are those vessels of shame that, you know, the Bible speaks about. Don't question why. There are many people right now who are prospering in the world, who will die with great glory, but God will never have placed his hand on them because he had no plans for them. Yeah, they were successful, humanly speaking, but um, um, they will not enter into that glorious existence that is eternity. Many will have suffered greatly and will have lived, you know, pretty uh, normal lives And, uh, they, and they will actually lament the fact that they did not achieve the dreams that they had wanted to achieve and so on. But, you know, God did it because he had a plan for them and he trained them. He humiliated and humbled them and, and bled them so that they could enter into heaven. And uh, we should, you know, just leave that to the Lord. If God loves you, he's going to train you. If you have had great failures in your life, praise the Lord because... And you're here now in the kingdom, that means that God had a plan for your life. And he still has a plan for you. He's training you. He's working on you. Don't, don't uh, resent that. If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? If we submitted at some point to the discipline of our parents, how much more should we accept the training modules of, of God, um, who is the father of spirits, and as a result of our submission, then achieve eternity? They disciplined us for a little while, that is our human parents, as they thought best. In other words, sometimes arbitrarily, imperfectly, and... Uh, as a projection of their own carnal desires for you. But this God who disciplines us, he, he does it only for our good, in order that we may share in His holiness. You cannot share in God's holiness unless you have been struck by Him. You cannot share in God's holiness until you have been bled. You cannot do anything great and lasting for God Unless you have been slashed a few times in your flesh. It's as simple as that. And then the apostle says in verse 11, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. How many of you love it when God slaps you in the face? <laughs> I don't. Nobody does. When we're going through those moments of great... Suffering and failure and stress and delay. I mean, we want to say, hey, I didn't sign up for this. I'm going to go back to fishing. And, um, you know, none of us love that. I, I hate it when God disciplines me. 
Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. That's the word paideia, again, trained. You know, at the moment when you're experiencing God's discipline and, and difficulties and so on and suffering, you hate it with a passion. But then later on when you look back and you see, you know, the work of God in your life, how, you, how, how much better you know Jesus, how, how much humble, humbler you are, how much more you're able to listen to his whisperings When before, as a young buck full of energy, you could only hear, the only thing you would hear is a, a freight train's whistle. But when God bleeds you, you can hear the rustlings of the leaves in the forest, the still, silent voice of the Lord in the desert. You're aware. You read the scriptures and they open themselves to you because you've been bled and not being so... Um, what is the word? Uh, so hyper. <laughs> we went to visit a family yesterday, and uh, they have a little dog. Uh, I don't know what. Uh, it's one of those little things. I guess you know the the smaller they are, the more energy he has in them. It's not diluted, concentrated. That dog did not stop moving one minute of the time that we were visiting. He would jump into our laps. He would go around and dance around. He would do all kinds of stuff. I said, man, how much energy is in that little being? Sometimes we're like that. When we haven't been trained by God, we haven't been bled, we haven't been pushed, we're, we got so much energy that we're, uh, we can be a nuisance, <clears throat> even to ourselves, to those around us. And God has to take a big syringe and just put it into our, and just <laughs> suck three quarters of the energy and the confidence and the crazy enthusiasm that we have and make us weaker so that we can then walk in a dignified way uh, on earth. And um, that's what happens. You know, at the beginning, we hate it when the syringe goes in. But then after a while, and then we're able to do wonderful things for God, and we can hear His voice. We can be more like Christ, more patience, more humility, more mercy toward others. Uh, it's worth it. It's worth it. Not a, don't expect it to be like that at the moment. But, you know, what I'm saying is that, and what the Apostle Paul is saying especially, you know, experience these things in the light of the fruit that it is designed to produce. Don't get so lost in the moment that you are living of discomfort that you lose the bigger picture of what is happening at the macro level. Always live your life in the light of God's sublime truths, purposes, methodologies, Actions for your good and the blessing of others. You don't live for yourself. You, you, God is creating a, a symphony out of you that others might hear someday, even after your death sometimes. And it requires a training. It requires a discipline. It requires moments of great distress. And if you keep your eyes focused on the purpose, on the great cloud of witnesses, on the... Uh, Reward that awaits on the product of your own life and character, then you can go through these things and you won't grow weary. You won't throw the towel. You won't give up. You won't let your hands down. You continue to stand. You'll get up every day, every year, every new year, even though there were many dreams that you did not accomplish. 
in the previous year, you will get back on track and you will say, another year. And that happens another day, another day. I will continue being faithful to the Lord. And he will never cease to give you strength for the new day. Every day you will come and say, Father, I don't think I can make it today. I, I looked at my hands and I didn't have a single coin in it. Give me my portion for today. And God will give it to you. Never doubt that you will have what you need for the next day, for the next journey, for the next step. God is committed. And at the end, there's a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained in it. And then the, the final therefore. Therefore, as a consequence of all of these considerations, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. You know, there's something there about, you know, you have, you have, a, you have a choice and you have a right and you have the power to turn your feeble, tired arms into strong, purposeful arms. It's your, it's your choice. You know, it, it sounds harsh to tell people, you know, you have, you have, uh, you have uh, the right to determine the course of your depression, of your anxiety, of your discouragement, of, um, you know, all those things that afflict us, those emotions that afflict us. I am sometimes overwhelmed by this idea that it is in my purview, it is in my um, responsibility, in my realm, how I choose to deal with the things that are afflicting me and that threaten me in the discharge of my duties and my calling. You know, there are many times in my life where, where I've had to walk up those stairs to preach. I have, I'm not ashamed to confess that. There are times when I woke up and I've said, Lord, and I, I may have shared that with you. I've said, Lord, carry me today. I need you to carry me today. Because you have to trudge up here. You have to encourage people. You have to say all kinds of glorious, beautiful things. And, and, and your tank is empty. Yeah. What do you do? I mean, do you just say, you know what? I'm just going to go to bed. And I'm going to call somebody. Preach today because I can't. No, I've said, no, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, strengthen my feeble arms. Yeah. And again, that's not too... I say harsh because sometimes, you know, those words can sound. And, and I don't want to heap... Uh, discouragement on anybody no God loves you and God understands God understands where you are I don't want to throw more load on you but the fact is that I've learned that you know there are there are periods of darkness there are evil days that we go through and uh, somehow we have to do like the airplane when it's raining my wife tells me that it's going to rain tomorrow she's traveling for a couple of days it's raining. But, you know, I immediately came to my mind the fact that when that plane leaves Boston, even if it's raining, if it goes about 10,000 feet, I don't know where the cloud level is. Once it goes up over the clouds, there's no rain. It's perfectly dry and shining. And sometimes in your life, when you go through periods of depression, struggle, discouragement, you have to take the plane and, and go up a little higher. You know? And you have to then continue. You have to know that those things, they, they, the clouds, you know, sometimes it rains, sometimes they disperse, other clouds will come. At the age of 65, I can tell you that there are many cloudy days in life. And if you allow those clouds to enter your system, you're dead in the water. You have to know that the sun will shine tomorrow. 
that, uh, you know, life is like that. There are periods of darkness, those evil days. And you have to then, those, when, when that evil day comes, you just have to stand and ask the Holy Spirit, clothe me today. Fill me today. Give me new strength to continue the journey. And God will give it to you. And then periods of light will come and blessing will come. Because, you know, that's just the way it is. You, you strengthen your feeble arms. It is this calling of the Lord. Because, you know, if, if God is asking you and calling you to strengthen your feeble arms, it's because he knows that you can do that. You can't wait for your feeble arms to be strengthened. You have to strengthen them. This idea of agency is so sublime. We have more power than we think. We have more dignity than we think. God takes us more seriously than we think. We are angelical beings. And uh, this God takes us so seriously that he, he says, you can do it. You can find that strength to continue the journey. It is there, my brothers and sisters. Do not doubt it. Satan would want you to doubt it. But when you feel that you've gone to the last leg, there's still more that you can produce. Don't doubt it. The tank is more full than you think. This year would be lengthy. And do not doubt even for a moment that you have what you need to finish it successfully, to be better than ever, to be more glorious than ever. And, and, and the, the tests is, are part of the journey. And so rejoice. God, God is with you. Stand the course. Persist. Persevere. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Soldier, get up and continue. You're not some bland mass of flesh at the control of circumstances or evil spirits or even your own failures. There's something more powerful within you. Find it. Discover it. Hold on to it. Put one foot in front of the other. That's all that you need to do today. You need to get through the day confessing God's goodness and mercy and his work in your life. He is rabidly committed to you. Nothing will shake him from his commitment that you finish the race successfully. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Work at it. Yeah, the ground you're walking on is full of stones and hills and, you know, unevenness. Well, stop, fix it, go on. It's, it's your, it's your, in my choice, and God has given you the pickaxe and the shovel and, and the drills. You, you have them. Make sure that your life, whatever you find in the front of it, vanquish it, conquer it, resist it. I'm going to leave it there. Uh, there, there, there are many more passages that we could use. I also commit you to read um, The Death of Moses. That came to me just now before I started preaching here. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 34, read about it. The Death of Moses, how he dies. This glorious man 
40 years in training, 40 years of ministry, uh, and 40 years, well, there were 80 years of training in different ways. You know, 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the desert, and then 40 years. Uh, three, three stages of training. And then in the end, you know, he dies not having seen the promised land, alone with his God. He wasn't a failure. He, he, he did what he had to do. But it's this idea that when you have gone through all the things, all the trainings, all the failures, like Moses, all the glory, so on, then God will have his moment with you and say, okay, now I take you in my arms. Now I enter you into your eternal reward. That is the beauty of the Christian life. And so let us ask the Lord now. Let us confess to the Lord. Let us promise ourselves. We will not give up. We will persevere. We will stand. We will march. We will not anything of this world steal our reward from us. Would you stand with me and take a moment and reflect? Reflect upon that glorious calling of God for your life. Receive the word of the Lord. Receive the invitation of God. My son, my daughter, I am fiercely committed to your success. Don't let anything discourage you. Don't let the length of the battle wear you down. There is an end and there's a reward. And there may be things, things that you will not see when you die. There may be dreams that you, you may feel were not accomplished. And like Moses, they will be accomplished because there will be others who will take your place. Your children, people that you have affected, others that you have preached the gospel to, people that you have counseled and served in your life and your ministry, they will continue the journey. You obey. You march. You walk. You stand. You persevere. And let the final result up to God. Okay? That, that, is, that is the blessing, the promise. Father, today I commit, I, pastor, senior pastor of this congregation, I commit to serving you until you want. My people commit to doing what you have assigned them to do. You have placed us in a particular place and moment and we accept your charge. We accept the responsibility. Lord, we have not been perfect in discharging our calling and our duty. We have not been without fault. We have not been without defect. We could have done better. But uh, we will be obedient to you. And we will believe that even in those failures, those imperfections, you will be having your way. And they will be a part of your training and your discipline. And we will continue loving you, blessing your hand, confessing that you are good and faithful and that you make sense, that you're not arbitrary, that you are fashioning for yourself a lovely, beautiful, sublime offering that will bring pleasure to your heart, incense that will please you. We want to be that. We want to be a part of that, Father. I bless your people. I bless those who are watching over the internet. I bless this community that is Congregation Lion of Judah. And I, and I bless every church and every congregation in this city, in this region. Father, there are so many churches living out their own processes.
Some of them really suffering right now. Pastors discouraged, lonely, questioning. I pray that your blessing will reach them as well. I pray that this company that is your church in this area of New England will be up to the task. May your word comfort us. Father, as we enter into this new year, may your word comfort us. May we live our lives in the light of this company of witnesses, this, this purpose that you have for our life, this sublime ending at the end of it all. We choose to believe that you are working and that you are with us. Thank you for the glory of this narrative that you have concocted for us. We give you honor and glory. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, and the people of God said, Amen. God bless you, Lion of Judah. Happy New Year. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. You can find more resources like this in our website, leondejuda.org, and in our social networks by searching for Congregación León de Judah. We look forward to being with you again. God bless you.